Wonderful to see you this morning. If it's your first time here or you've not seen me before, my name is Ben. I'm the vicar here. And today we're finishing our eight-week series in the story of Joseph, which we called Modern Questions, Ancient Answers. And today the question that we're asking is, where does every story lead? And so I'm kind of summing up where we've got to with the story of Joseph, thinking about the story as a whole and thinking not just about Joseph's story, but stories in general, where do they all point to? And our own stories, where are they leading today? So not, well, you may think this is a little bit strange, but you'll see why I'm doing it in just a moment. To sum up the story of Joseph, we're actually going to read from Matthew chapter 26, which is um, Jesus doing the first communion with his disciples and then Jesus in Gethsemane. And it will become clear as we go through, hopefully. Matthew 26, verse 26. While they were eating, Jesus took bread and when he'd given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples saying, take and eat, this is my body. Then he took a cup and when he'd given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink from it, all of you, this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now until on that day when I I drink it with you in my father's kingdom. When they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus told them, this very night you will fall away on account of me, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Peter replied, even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. Truly I tell you, Jesus answered, this very night before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. But Peter declared, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all of the other disciples said the same. Then Jesus went with all of his disciples to a place called Gethsemane and said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little further, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, my father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour? He asked asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away for a second time and prayed, my father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. When he came back, he found them sleeping again because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away once more and prayed the third time, saying the same thing. Then he returned to his disciples and said to them, are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour has come and the son of man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Very quickly, I'd love it if you could turn to the person next to you and answer one of two questions. The first is, if you've been with us over the past few weeks as we've gone through the story of Joseph, what has really struck you about the story? What have you loved about it? What what have you really enjoyed as we've looked at um, Joseph? Perhaps you're here for the first time or you've not been with us 
as we've been looking at the story of Joseph. Perhaps you're a guest or a visitor today. I'd love it if you could share what, what do you think makes a good story or perhaps what is your favourite story? So one minute just to do that with the person next to you. What have you loved about the story of Joseph or what is your favourite story and why? Bear those things in mind as, as I take us through the next few minutes or so. Some of you may have heard of the Jesus Storybook Bible. We've bought it for quite a few of our godchildren. The blurb about it reads like this. From Noah to Moses to the great King David, every story points to Jesus. He is like the missing piece in a puzzle, the piece that makes all the other pieces fit together. From the Old Testament through the New Testament, as the story unfolds, children will pick up the clues and piece together the puzzle. The Jesus Storybook Bible invites children to join in the greatest of all adventures, to discover for themselves that Jesus is at the centre of God's great story of salvation and at the centre of their story too. If you have little people in your life, perhaps you're an uncle, aunt, parent, godparent, grandparent, I'd really do recommend the Jesus Storybook Bible. And my prayer as we just spend the next few minutes thinking about where does every story lead, that we would be reminded that Jesus is at the centre of our story too, whether we know it or not. So where does every story lead? Well, the Sunday School answer, of course, um, and it's right, the Jesus Storybook Bible is right. Every story leads to Jesus. Um, if you want to know more about how the Bible specifically, every story leads to Jesus, about nine, ten months ago now, we did a series called Jesus in the Old Testament. You can get that on our website. I recommend giving that a listen. I want to spend some time thinking about how the story of Joseph points to Jesus. But I also want to spend some time thinking this morning about how every story that's ever been told also points to Jesus. And I also want us to think about how our, the story of our own lives also points to Jesus. So Joseph and Jesus, every story in Jesus, your story and Jesus. So firstly, Joseph and Jesus. So just a reminder where we've been in the story of Joseph. Joseph has had some dreams about God's purpose for his life and his brothers hated him for it. If you've got some dreams about that you feel God has given you, you may be hated for them occasionally. Anyway, um, his brothers, Joseph's brothers, ended up cancelling him and they were going to kill him, but an opportunity arose for them to get involved in a bit of human trafficking um, because they were into that apparently for a brief moment. And so they sold him as a slave for some silver and they took his multicoloured coat home and they stained it in some animal blood and they lied to decades for their father about Joseph being dead when really he was alive. Nice people, eh? Joseph wound up as a slave in Egypt where his boss's wife took a fancy to him. He refused to sleep with her and she was so exasperated by the situation that in the end she accused him of wanting to sleep with her and Joseph ends up in prison for 12 whole years. While he's in prison, he's able to interpret some dreams for some people, one of whom goes on to be pretty influential in the life of Pharaoh, who's the most powerful man on the planet. And when Pharaoh has his own weird dreams and none of his own advisors or magicians can tell him what the interpretation is, there's one man who's working for Pharaoh who remembers a man in prison called Joseph who can interpret dreams. Well, Joseph gives this interpretation and immediately 
is promoted to effectively being prime minister of Egypt and becomes the second most powerful man on the planet. No one can interpret dreams except for Joseph. And in the end, Joseph ends up saving his own people and the life of all of Egypt as well and surrounding nations from famine. He ends up becoming a saviour. This includes a, a meeting again with his brothers who thought that he may be dead by now and he ends up even rescuing and saving them and forgiving them and being reconciled to them. It's a beautiful story. Now just think about that. That's a very brief summary of the story of Joseph with the passage that I just read from Matthew chapter 26. Jesus, like Joseph, suffers innocently. And we see a little bit of that in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's getting ready to be punished for something that he has not done, just like Joseph. Joseph was sold into slavery by his own brothers. Jesus was betrayed by his, his brothers, if you like, his, his disciples. Joseph was sold for silver. Jesus was sold for silver. We see that at the end of our little reading today in verse 46. Joseph had a favoured position with his father Jacob, but lost it all, sunk to the lowest of lows, spent years in an Egyptian prison, only to rise up again and save the whole known world. Well, Jesus had the favoured position in heaven, at the right hand of the Father, where he'd been forever, in glorious relationship with the Spirit, the Father, the Son, in this amazing relationship. And Jesus, unlike Joseph, Jesus willingly gave up that position and sunk even lower than Joseph, only to rise again and offer salvation to all who would believe in him. And Jesus makes that clear, doesn't he, in verses 28, when he's instituting communion. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Look at verse 42. Um, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out, sorry, I've already said that, for the forgiveness of sins. That's verse 28. Jesus offers salvation to all. Joseph was a gracious brother and forgave his brothers for what they did to him. Jesus forgives us even though we've betrayed him and restores us to relationship with him. His disciples could, keep not, could not keep watch with him in verse 45. They deny him, verses 31 to 35, he, he, he said, and yet he would go to the cross for them. Joseph is Jesus-shaped. He's supposed to point us to the person of Jesus. Jesus is the true and better Joseph. The whole story of Joseph points to Jesus. The reason that we love the story of Joseph, I think, the reason that I've loved looking at it again over the past eight weeks is it's so real. It's so human, isn't it? There's so much emotion in there. We see Joseph taking himself off to cry several times. There's this amazing reconciliation with his brothers. There's a story of family dysfunction, of unforgiveness, of lies, of deceit. And some of that is in our family stories as well. And yet in it, we see the offer of salvation because it points to Jesus. Now, the reason that Joseph, the Joseph story is a good story um, is because it has lots of the components of the stories that we all love to tell. And I want to show us as we look at the story of, as we finish looking at the story of Joseph, how every good story points to Jesus. 
Now, we love to tell stories, don't we? We love to hear stories. We love to, to watch stories acted out in front of us, either on a play or on a screen or in the movies or something. Why is that? Why do human beings love stories? Well, firstly, they convey meaning and purpose. They help us understand ourselves and they help us find commonality with others. They help us to connect and communicate with other people. That's why we love stories. Now, as Christians, we can say that, well, if all stories are supposed to convey meaning and purpose, where is ultimate meaning and purpose found? In the person of Jesus. If stories are supposed to help us understand the world better, well, how do, what do Christians say the only way to truly understand the world is? What do Christians say the only way to truly build community is through? Who, who is that through? Well, it's all through Jesus. Jesus is the only way to truly understand the world. He's the only way to true connection. So why is it then that we love fairy tales and stories even when they seem completely impossible? Like they're just so made up, they can't be real. Often when I'm reading a bedtime story to one of my godchildren, the content of the story is so implausible, and yet I love reading them anyway, because the general storyline of these, of these stories that I'm reading to, to the children is what the human heart longs for. I can remember reading Stickman to Amara when she was very young. That'll be on our screens, I'm sure, at Christmas, the BBC adaptation. And I remember welling up at the end of it. And it's this story about this stick that's alive and gets lost and obviously is, is, is found again at the end. It's a, it's a... Yeah, sorry for the spoiler alert, Brogan. Um, it's a completely implausible story. And yet it's so emotional. A stick doesn't become real and, you know, all the things that happens to it in the story. And yet I got really emotional reading it. I can also remember reading The Smartest Giant in Town, if any of you have read that book to, to young people. And I cried at the end of that as well. And it's a, this story about this giant who, well, I won't give you a, story, a spoiler alert for that because it's the spoiler that made me cry. Um, but they're so implausible and yet they're so emotional and there's something about them that's so real. Beauty and the Beast, Aladdin, the latest Marvel film, Lord of the Rings, whatever it might be, they're implausible and yet we love them because there's something real about them. They make us long for something that we know is real. Tim Keller um, put it like this. This is from his book, Hidden Christmas. Um, I really recommend it to you as an Advent or Christmas read this year. It's a fantastic book that will help you see the Christmas story in a whole new way. He says this about fairy tales or, or stories that people tell in general. They may not be factually true, and yet they seem to fulfill a set of longings in the human heart that realistic fiction can never touch or satisfy. That is because in the, deep in the human heart, there are, there are these desires to experience the supernatural, to escape death, to know, that, to know a love that we can never lose, to not age, but to live long enough that we can realise our creative dreams, to fly, to communicate with non-human beings, to triumph over evil. If the fantasy stories are well told, we find them incredibly moving and satisfying. Why? It's because even if we know that the stories cannot actually factually happen, our hearts long 
for these things. And a well-told story momentarily satisfied these, dis these desires, scratching at the terrible itch. Beauty and the Beast tells us, as a, tells us that there's a love that can break out the beastliness that we have created for ourselves. Sleeping Beauty tells us that we are in a kind of sleeping enchantment and there is a noble prince who can come and destroy it. We hear these stories and they stir us because we want to believe that these things are true. Death should not be the end. We should not lose our loved ones. Evil should not triumph. We want these things to be true. And in the gospel, here is a story about someone from a different world who breaks into ours, has miraculous powers and can calm the storms and heal people and raise people from the dead. It's true. There's one story that is true. And it's the story of the gospel. And every story that human beings have tried to tell point there whether we realise it or not. Because in all of us is a longing for the supernatural, for death to be overcome, for good to triumph over evil, for wrong to be put right. It seems impossible, but there's one story that's true, and it's the story of Jesus. So next time you're reading a fairy tale or you're watching a film and you're thinking, or a child asks you as you're reading them a bedtime story, I wish I could have superpowers. I wish I could have access to the supernatural. I wish I could have dreams that could change the world. I wish that there was a way for me to live forever or for, then, for death to not be the end. You can say confidently, there is. There is a way for you to have supernatural powers. There is a way for you to know that death is not the end. There is a way for you to live forever. And it's through the person of Jesus. The story of Jesus is an unbeatable story, isn't it? Somebody who breaks in from a different world, literally heaven, and gives up everything for people that owe him nothing, has supernatural power and invites the people that he's come to rescue to share that power with him. He can raise the dead. He can heal people. He's hated and yet loved. The people that hate him kill him. And then he rises to new life. And at the end of it, he basically says, I became what you are so that you can become what I am. It's an unbeatable story and it is true. And it's what every story that has ever been penned points to whether the author knows it or not. Even our made-up fairy tales tell us of the Jesus-shaped hole in every human heart. Yesterday, Newcastle United beat Chelsea 4-1 at home. It was a fantastic day to be in the city. We were actually in Leeses Park at the Northern Lights um, light show that's going on at the minute. Highly recommend that as well as the game's going on. And we were walking from here to the stadium and you could hear the goals flying in. It was fantastic. When I watched the highlights last night and Joe Linton scored the third goal, I actually got quite emotional. I was thinking to myself, why am I getting emotional seeing Joel Linton score a goal against Chelsea? Well, I think it's because just, just over two years ago, Eddie Howe's been the manager now at Newcastle United for two years this month. Just over two years ago, Joel Linton was the laughing stock of the city. 
The fans didn't like him. I can remember having some conversations with some people, even in this room right now, about putting your faith in Joe Linton. He will come good in, he will, will come good in the end. Um, he was the laughing stock of the city. The fans didn't like him. People wanted him out. He was the club's record signing and hadn't delivered. Everyone was saying that he was completely naff. In the last two years, he's gone through the most remarkable transformation I think the Premier League has ever seen in a football player. He is an absolute machine now. I bet that he's the first player, player's name down on Eddie's, Eddie Howe's team sheet every single week. He's loved and adored. I was walking past St. James's Park yesterday and one of the big um, murals that you see outside um, one of the main entrances is just this huge picture of Joe Linton. People love him. I think that it's possibly the second greatest story of resurrection ever told, and it's real, after, the, after Jesus' resurrection itself. The reason I think I got emotional just watching Joe Linton score and seeing him so loved and adored now is because it reminds me, it's a real human story, and it reminds me that transformation is indeed possible, that things can be turned around. Now, they can be turned around momentarily for a footballer, sure, on a football pitch. But they can be turned around permanently through the person of Jesus Christ. Even the drama of football points us to the resurrection and to Jesus and to the gospel. It shows us things that we long for and want to be true. So all of those stories that you loved when you were a kid, those stories that you loved your grandparents or parents reading to you, the stuff that you loved to go and see in the movies, the reason that you love it is it because they point to things that can only be fulfilled in the person of Jesus. No one else. Now, lastly, your story. You have a story. I have a story. And all of our stories, like Joseph's, have their ups and downs. We all have an origin. We have a creation story. We've all fallen. We've made mistakes. We've all looked to redeem ourselves in the things that did not work. They just didn't work when we tried to redeem ourselves using them. They just always failed. If you like, our stories take on the shape of the story of Scripture. We have an origin story. We've fallen. We long for redemption. We look for it in certain things. It doesn't work. Our stories also in some way point to the story that God has written in the Bible. Now, here's the amazing thing about your story. God has written himself into it. Last Friday, I was um, on a plane, um, just getting ready to take off to go on holiday for a week. And um, I was scrolling for Instagram before turning my phone off for a week. And a video that Josh Tricky had shared on, I don't know if Josh is here today, a video that um, Josh Tricky had shared on Instagram got my attention. It was the last thing I saw before and the plane took off into, into the skies. And it was Tim Keller talking about um, an essay that C.S. Lewis had written. And the reason that C.S. Lewis had written this essay is because the Russians had just take, been taking astronauts into space. And the Russians, when they first started going into space, um, had, the, Russian, the Russian state was, was um, promoting a very atheistic view of the world. And these astronauts were going into space and saying, well, they've been into space and they didn't find God there at all. They had no evidence of God. They didn't see him. And so he couldn't possibly be real. He wasn't there. 
And C.S. Lewis wrote an essay called The Seeing Eye in response to the Russians' claims. And he wrote this. The Russians, I am told, report that they have not found God in outer space. Looking for God or heaven by exploring space is like reading or seeing all of Shakespeare's plays in the hope that you will find Shakespeare as one of the characters. In other words, if there was a God, you wouldn't relate to him as somebody down, you know, somebody down here and you had to go up to the first floor of church in order to find him. That's not how this works. We relate to God like Hamlet would relate to Shakespeare. Hamlet could travel all over the stage of the theatre and never meet Shakespeare. The only way that Hamlet would ever meet Shakespeare is if Shakespeare himself wrote himself into the play. Now here's the thing. God is the author of all of history. History, his story. All of history belongs to God. It's his story. And here's the thing. He wrote himself into the play. He wrote himself into the drama of your life. We are about to celebrate Christmas. We're just five Sundays away. Can you believe it? Five Sundays away from Christmas. The incarnation, God becoming man, is God writing himself into the play. Now, every week for the next five weeks, when you walk in and out of the doors of church, you're going to see an empty throne. Um, Lee had this idea of um, um, a king is born and, the, and, this, and this throne being our image for Christmas this year. Every time you walk past it, remember that Jesus left the throne room of heaven so that he could write himself into the story of your life. God has written himself in. And so when you long for redemption, you don't have to look for it any longer in money or in children or in finding the right partner or in relationships or in having the right job. Look for it in him, the one who wrote himself into your story. He wrote himself into your story. Your story with all of its hopes, its longings, its desires, it all points to Jesus. Where does every story lead? To Jesus Christ. Why is this story of Joseph so captivating? It's not only because it's real and emotional and so human, it's captivating because it can only be fulfilled in one person and his name is Jesus. Why do we love to tell stories that convey meaning or give us access to the supernatural or make us want to believe that there is a happily ever after and that there is no more tears and pain and suffering? Why do we love those stories? Even when they seem impossible, because deep down they're scratching at something we know is true, but it can only be found in the person of Jesus. Why is it that our stories seem so unfulfilling until they find their climax and fulfillment in the person of Jesus? Because they all point that way. Every story at its heart longs to be cross-shaped, knows that there's something wrong, knows that there's access to some level of healing and power and supernatural stuff, 
and empty cross shape because there's resurrection at the end where death is defeated forever. They all point to Jesus. Next time you go to the cinema with a bunch of your mates, think about how does this story point me to the gospel? Even if it's slightly strange and bizarre, there'll be some human longing in there that'll be longing for something of the supernatural, something of a happily ever after, something of somebody being made complete. And they may find it in the wrong things. The film may conclude all of the wrong things, but you can know. Well, actually, all of these things are fulfilled in the person of Jesus. Can I invite us to stand where we are? We're going to respond together.